Amen. Thanks, Eric. Well, good morning, City Light. How are you guys doing? Right. Did you guys have a good week, though? Good week? Um, so my week was a little mixed. Had some good times uh, and some low points, I would say. So the good times were that Sarah and I and Eric, we went to uh, Des Moines this week. Uh, the plan was to meet with some people to talk about planning City Light Des Moines. All right, so... Yes, we were pretty excited about that. Uh, so had that meeting, and then coming up uh, this uh, Wednesday, Sarah and I have a couple meetings planned in Kansas City to talk about City Light Kansas City. So right, get excited about that, guys. That's big news. Um, so what happened was uh, probably a few, maybe last week, early last week, week before that, uh, an old friend of Sarah said, hey, we're in Kansas City. Uh, we heard you guys might be thinking about planting a church somewhere. Would you consider Kansas City? Then there was a Facebook post that went out, and uh, it's been blowing up. So we've got all kinds of meetings planned. We're excited about that. People are saying, when are you guys going to launch? And we're like, we're not even close to that yet. But the momentum is building. And so that's partly why we left. Uh, we moved 900 miles because we see God doing something here. Amen? Like we see God doing something here. We want to be a part of that. Uh, we see God's hand and God's favor, and so we're playing just give us some of that, Jesus. And so that's the plan. So we're kind of, why we moved, why we came here, it's, it's happening, it's moving, little steps are happening. So that was kind of the exciting part. Um, but we had, I should say, I had a little different week than that. Those were the good things. Uh, the first thing was, um, I'll just be very uh, blunt and say that... Um, if you're married, sometimes you have some friction. Anybody experience that? So, <laughs> preach is right. Um, yeah, so my wife and I did not have the best week together. Uh, and I would say that not only do I have a good marriage, I feel like I have a great marriage. And in the light of that, I would say Sarah and I probably uh, butted heads, uh, had some disagreements this week like we haven't had in a very long time. I must be preaching this week. That's probably what it was. Um, so there were, there were um, voices raised. There were some conversations where arms were crossed. Uh, there was some misunderstanding, some frustration, some tears, some you hurt my feelings kind of conversations. Some of those moments where uh, I need to take a break from this conversation. It was, it was one of those discussions, all right? But if you've been married long enough, you know, sometimes that happens. That's that's married life. So I had that going on, and then we found out that one of our kids uh, that we thought uh, did really well when we would put them in the care of other adults, right? So we're pretty emphatic about this. Hey, if I, if I leave you with this person, you listen to them. Right? That's our parenting style. We, we want our kids to, if you watch our kids, I want them to be a blessing to you. I want you to say, Jason, your kids were wonderful. That's what I want. And I found out that not only was one of my kids not listening very well, but this had been like an ongoing issue. And so now Sarah and I, we've got our thing going on, right? And now together we get to kind of wrestle through, man, do we need to do some things different? Uh, what's going on here? Um, and just in your own heart, if you're a parent, you feel that when your kids kind of disappoint you or they hurt you. Just, you feel that. You know, I wanna, I'm like every other dad, and I want to take some pride and say, my kid's a great kid, right? So when they disappoint you or when they don't listen to you, it bothers me. 
So we had that going on. And then we had swim lessons on Tuesday. And if you've ever been to the Y in the evening, there's no parking, but we found a parking spot, right? Some of you laugh because you know that's true. And so we, we get into our parking spot. We're loading the kids up. And Sarah says, the van door's not closing, right? The van door's not closing. So I'm like, well, I'll fix it. And... Um, so she gets all the kids ready, takes them in, changes them to get ready for swim lessons while I'm out in the parking lot, and it gets darker and darker, and the van door's still not closing, and I've got nothing but a pocket knife, and I'm trying to fix it, and I'm like, well, if I go in, the dome light's going to be on, the battery's going to die, and like two weeks before, I seriously had to push the van up the hill because it was so slick, so I didn't want to have a dead, all these things are going through my head, and um, so finally what happened was we didn't get the door fixed then. But we get all the kids, Sarah drives, I'm holding the van door shut, and it's in nighttime, and so I was like, I've finally become a member of, like, Council Tucky. I've arrived, right? <laughs> there, was, there was, I felt like there should have been more duct tape than paint on the van, and so uh, I was like, I've got to get that van door fixed, you know, I've got four kids, we can't go anywhere, if this, we can't just ride around with a door just flying open. My kids aren't listening well. They might jump out the van, you know. So wrestling with that. And then, I don't know if you're like me, but when I have to work on a vehicle, I start feeling some financial stress. So I'm, I'm thinking, all right, so I have this much. If I got to fix this, I got to fix this. This isn't optional. I've got to get this door fixed. And so I'm thinking through all these things, and I'm stressing about money. And then I thought, well, if I did get the van door fixed, but then... Uh, so we pray before service, and I get a text message, and I check, and Sarah says, neither door's working right now. So that's what I get to do this afternoon, so I'm really excited about that. But the week before was fantastic, right? My marriage was good. My kids listened, or I thought they did. My van door worked, uh, but not this week. And so um, I had some exciting meetings set up to talk about church planning, and now this week's been filled with uh, marriage difficulty you know, parental strife, wear and tear of a vehicle, financial stress, right? And that's kind of life, right? That's, that's how life is. And the disciples, they're in the week before when we start this text. So think about this. They've just had this awesome time with Jesus, right? He's, he's washed their feet. Uh, he's fed them. And now they're probably on their way to the garden where they're going to have this great time of prayer and intimacy together. We're just going to hang out. Jesus is going to pray for them. And what he does is he, gets, he kind of drops a bomb on them, right? They're in the week before when everything's good. He's going to tell them, hey, guys, it's about to get rough for you. Time, the storm is coming. And basically what he tells them, he says, you guys are going to weep, and you're going to mourn, and you're going to have sorrow, and you're going to lament, and your heart's going to be broken. And even better, your enemies are going to rejoice when this happens, right? You guys are going to be scattered. Right now we're a a tight-knit family, but you guys are going to just abandon me, and you're going to go off in all different directions. That's what's coming. And so, but he tells them this. He says, but hang on, guys. Hang on. Don't give up. And in the text today, we're going to see Jesus tell his disciples basically those two things. Hang on for joy, and hang on through prayer, right? Hang on. Hang on for joy, and while you're hanging on, hang on through prayer. Here's what Jesus says in John 16, 21 through 22. He says, when a woman is giving birth, and this is Jesus painting a picture for them 
of what's coming. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Um, pregnancies are kind of a weird thing. Um, I have four kids, and we've been through three full-term pregnancies. And if you do the math there, you figure out we got twins in there. Um, and what's strange about pregnancies is that each one was kind of unique and different, and yet there was kind of some common things that happened in every pregnancy. So for Sarah, she did not have morning sickness. She had all day, all the time sickness. So when, as soon as she found out she was pregnant, throwing up in the morning, throwing up at night. And this happened not in the first trimester, not just the second, but the third. Up until she gave birth, she was sick the whole time. And we did that three times. Three babies, right? Doesn't make sense to me. Uh, when we lived in Pittsburgh, our bedroom was on the second floor. So this is her third pregnancy, and she has twins, which I don't think she's in here. So she was much larger for the twins, right? Um, she'll be here for the second one. I might edit that out. But... The joke was, well, it's kind of a joke around here, but in, in the evening when it was time for her to go to bed, I would seriously put my hands on her hips and I would push her up the stairs, right? And then we would lay down and I would go to sleep while she quietly cried because of how uncomfortable she was. I could sleep right through that. Um, but what was strange for me was as bad as that was, and if you've been pregnant, you understand this, she was done with the throwing up, the sleepless nights, walking like she had constant back pain, probably because she did, of heartburn, right, is that she would want to do that again and again because when that baby showed up or babies, those past nine months just kind of disappeared. Um, and so, so I think I have a picture, right? So that picture there is Jack, and you see the joy on Sarah's face? Can you guys see that Okay. Um, now, she just was in birth for hours without any pain meds, and, like, that was painful, and yet, when she saw that baby, she loved him so much that we did it again in 18 months. We had another baby, and it's sort of like this for the disciples, right? They're in week before. Everything's going good. Feet are washed. Bellies are full, and this man that they've dedicated their entire lives to They've left everything to follow Jesus. All their hopes and dreams are riding on him, right? They're having this quality time with him. Uh, he's in just a few hours going to get arrested and killed, and he's going to be gone, right? And they're going to be left troubled and confused and heartbroken. And what makes it worse is that the religious leaders are going to say to them, we told you so, Right? We've seen these religious hacks come and go, right? Every other week, there's a new guy that thinks he's the Messiah. We told you. Look how dumb you look. And the Romans are saying, hey, there's guys claiming to be king all the time. And if he was really a king, why did he die so easy? Right? And when we hauled him away, no one stood up for him. There was no uh, army that he commanded that fought for him. And in fact, his closest followers ran away like scared little kids, right? We're celebrating that he's dead. And where are they? They're hiding out, 
This is the reality for them. Their sorrow is deep. But Jesus says to them that they need to hang on. Right? He has a promise. He says, your sorrow will turn to joy. Right? The bad day is going to get better. But you have to hold on. And so we see this kind of play out later on in the book of John, where John and Peter are in a boat. And it's been days now. Right? And they're, they're heartbroken. They finally got out of the house, and they're out on the lake. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter has this moment where, imagine where he is emotionally, how heartbroken he is. And John says, it's the Lord. And it says in the text that Peter actually takes his outer garment off and swims to shore. So my picture is that, like, Peter is so excited, his heart is filling up with so much joy that he's like, I'm going to get down See, like my whitey tidies and just jump in and swim to Jesus. That's what Peter does. That's my version of that, right? So that's how excited, that's joy. That's joy because Jesus is there getting the grill ready to have a barbecue. And you can almost hear Jesus' words echo back to Peter when he says that. And Jesus said this, he says, and I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. When the disciples see Jesus, their hearts are filled with joy again. That sorrow and that pain is now replaced by joy. They see Jesus. They've laid eyes on him. And later, Jesus ascends, sends his spirit to be with them, to comfort them, to fill them, and to give him his presence forever. Right? And he does that for us as believers. He sent his spirit. So he, he never leaves us. He won't abandon us. He's always with us. So what's this mean for us as Christians today? Right? It means for us that we must hang on. We must hang on for joy. Because for the Christian, our joy does not come in our circumstances. Right? It doesn't come in our circumstances, but from Jesus. And the disciples' joy is found when they see him. Right? Not from their problems or circumstances, but from seeing Jesus. And and the spirit of Jesus is in us, right? We, we can't let go. We must hold on for joy. And the reason why a lot of times we fall into despair and we don't have joy is because we're looking more at our circumstances and our situation and not Jesus. So the question becomes, where is your joy rooted? Is it rooted in everything's going well or is it rooted in Jesus? Does your joy disappear when things get difficult? Okay. Because if it does, then that's where the hope is. And so for me, this has been a problem I've struggled with for a long, long time. I tend to be more uh, future thinking. And so I'm always kind of living in tomorrow a lot of times instead of today. So when the girls were first born, the twins, uh, that was a tough, tough time for us. Sarah, if you ask Sarah about the first six months of the twins' uh, life, uh, she starts to get a twitch. Right, because it was a little difficult. We had a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and now we had two twin girls. It was it was difficult, um, and I understood in that moment why sleep deprivation is a form of torture. I understood it, um, and I remember praying, and so this is very I'm being transparent today. I remember I was probably angry with God. I said, God, why are you doing that? I just I just want to sleep. Let me sleep a little bit. And I was very frustrated because I could not understand why my joy was gone. Well, I understood I wasn't sleeping, but why God would put us through this. And I, and I love my girls, just to say that. 
But the hope became for my joy, it became later down the road. So I'll be happy, I'll have joy when the girls sleep through the night. So that's where it was. I kind of kicked that can down the road. That's when I'll have joy. And then they were still kind of fussy and sleeping through the night, so I thought, well, maybe they just need more freedom. So when they start crawling and walking, then I'll have joy. Then I'll be happy. And then I was like, when they stop getting in the kitchen cabinets, then I will have joy. It was always this, later on I'll have joy. So for many of us, we feel like we can't have joy until things change, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here, right? Our joy is in him, and it's for now. Um, so I've, I've had a lot of friends who were single who thought, when I get married, then I'll be happy, then I'll have joy, okay? Um, and then what happens is, is they think, well, maybe this is just first-year marriage difficulty because the joy happens for a little bit, and then it's gone. So when we learn to adjust to each other, then I'll have joy. Then I'll be happy. And then they're years into it, and they think, well, when my husband loves me better or when she understands me better, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. Right? Or for college students, I've seen this where they're, they're really stressed out at school. It's like, when I graduate, then I'll, be ha- then I'll have joy. Right? But right now, I'm too stressed. I'm studying all the time. I can't have joy right now. And then they graduate, and then they're stressed about finding a job. But then they get the job, and they're happy, but then they realize their entry-level position, and they're not happy anymore. So when I get the promotion, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. And they get the promotion, and they've got more money and more stress, right? And they're thinking, when I retire, then I will be happy. Then I will have joy. And they retire, and they're bored, and they're thinking, when I die, then I will be happy. It's just, it's always this sort of kick the can down the road sort of thing. Listen, City Light. Situational and circumstantial joy is always fleeting, right? It's plastic. It's not real. It's not real. But joy in Jesus is forever, right? It's forever. And we hang on to that joy because he's our joy. So we want to see him. We're looking for him and we're going to cling to him. Right? And Jesus is at work in you. So I know looking back, Jesus was at work when I couldn't sleep at those, when the twins were born. I get that. Right? Jesus has not left you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. Right? When your marriage is tough, when your kids disappoint you, when your car breaks down, when there isn't enough money in the bank, when you just can't seem uh, to get healthy, right? Jesus is still for you. He's still with you. He hasn't left you, right? He hasn't left you. Hang on to Jesus, right? Hang on to Jesus. His joy is not dependent on your circumstances or your situation, right? It's dependent on his finished work, right? It's like we sang this morning. Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's overcome sin. And I think Doug preached a few weeks ago. He sent his spirit to help us to hang on to him, to hang on for joy, So Jesus goes on, and he tells the disciples this. So in the midst of this, you guys are going to have sorrow, and it's going to turn to joy. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Um, I, I grew up in a church that would read that text and say, 
All right, church, here's what this text is telling us. You want a new BMW? You want a McMansion on a hill? Claim it, pray it, ask God for it, and he will give it to you. He has to give it to you, all right? Um, you want gobs of health and wealth that where you go in to like Applebee's, they all look at you and they start singing and they say, dinner is on us, eat whatever you want, right? It was just kind of ridiculous um, that God was sort of this genie in the sky that was there for you just to rub the lamp the right way and he would give it to you, that, you know, this sort of Santa Claus Jesus. And so a real good picture of if you were living a godly life was, do you have the big mansion? Do you have the brand new car? Do you have the perfect wife and 2.5 kids, right? So the testimony was, if you could live the American dream really well, you made God look good. Um, so that's not right, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but for me, I tried it out one time in high school. I, I went into class. There was a test that I didn't study for, and I prayed, Oh, Father, help me ace this test in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking back, I'm not even sure if I passed that test. Um, in Jesus' name, when we think about that phrase, in Jesus' name, that is not like a mantra. It's not like a Christian sorcery where it's like abracadabra, hocus pocus. It's sort of this magic one where we say, uh, Jesus, I pray for this in Jesus' name. Poof. And it happens. Right? That is not it. That is not it. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, James 4, 3 actually corrects this thinking when he says this. You ask, right? You're asking, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think that's pretty clear cut. So when we pray in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name, we're praying as men and women who have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus in his life, death, resurrection, right? And what happens is when we begin to follow Jesus, we are taken from, if you could say, in the world, and we're picked up and placed in Jesus, right? In who he is, in his person, in his work, in his name, right? That's who we are. So we've traded our sinfulness over here for Jesus' righteousness. And when we approach the Father, we're approaching as if Jesus himself is asking, Right? That's what that means to be in Jesus' name. And so what happens is, if you've been a Christian for long enough, your prayers begin to change because as you're in his name, your desires change, your prayers change. You're asking for different stuff. You're not asking for a McMansion anymore. You're asking for his kingdom and his glory to be revealed to people. Right? You're asking for, his, for people to see him. Right? And so when my marriage is difficult, which this week it had a little hiccup, but when it is, I'm not trying to scheme and manipulate. I'm praying um, in Jesus' name, help me to love my wife well in this situation. I'm not saying I did that this week, just so you know, but I should. But it's, it's you know, Jesus, help me to love her like you love me, like you love the church. Help me do that. I can't do that in my strength. I need you to do something big. Help me do that. When my kids don't listen, I need a prayer to say, Father, help me in your name. Help me in, in who I am in Christ to lovingly point them to you and correct them out of love, not out of punishment and anger and like retribution for making us look bad, right? We pray that. When there's not enough money in the bank 
and the car breaks down, the furnace isn't working. This verse is not saying, like, paint a joker smile on your face and just say, it's all good. Right? That's not what it's saying. What we're doing is we're praying and we're saying, Jesus, help me here. I need you to show up. Right? And we pray so that our joy is full, it says. Right? It's because when those prayers are answered, we're able to actually see God at work. And I think the problem a lot of times is we don't pray and ask Jesus to show up and do stuff. So then we never see, we're not looking for him to move. Because it's not, hear me on this, it's not that, well, we're in a difficult situation. It'll all just work out. That is, that is not a Christian thinking. It's all going to work out because Jesus is at work making things happen for his glory and our good. Um, let me tell you where I need to grow in this. Um, I need to be more expectant in my prayers. Because of the church I grew up in, where it was sort of name it, claim it, you know, blab it, grab it sort of theology. Uh, part I grew up in that. I left the church. I, came, I got a little more theologically sound, came back. And so for a long time, I felt like I needed to prove to God that I was not after his stuff. Okay? Um, it was almost like I was a spoiled kid. Uh, growing up, and now that I'm an adult, I'm not going to take your stuff, Dad. I'm not going to do it. i got to prove that I'm not after your stuff. But what Jesus does in this text is he's saying, no, Jason, ask the Father for whatever you want, right? The Father wants to lavish on us good things, right? He wants to bless us. He's a good Father. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and if we want to grow in joy, we want to ask the Father, uh, we want to pray to him, petition him for stuff so that when he gives it, our joy is full. You see the logic in that? And Jesus says, ask and you will receive. This isn't the first time he said this in John. He has said this numerous times. Uh, so we had a prayer meeting last month, right? West Council Bluffs, Glenwood, Underwood. How many of you went to that? A few of you? Yeah, and we, if you remember, we prayed for city groups to be started in those places. And guess what happened? We got city groups starting in those places, right? Yes. We're going to be a church that holds on to joy through prayer. We're praying for a church to be started in West Council Bluffs. So don't be surprised when we start talking like that. That, hey, we're thinking about going to West Council Bluffs to start a church over there because we're praying for that. So we should just start expecting that to happen. You guys ready for that? Right? So we just start expecting that. Pray for new city groups to be started so new churches can be planted. Pray for your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you know and love who don't know Jesus. Pray that Jesus would find them and they would respond to him. Right? Pray that. And don't pray it and think, that guy will never follow Jesus. That's not expectant. Or God's bigger than that guy. Right? He can do that. Pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest, right? Pray all these things expectantly, uh, just selfishly. Pray for the Wilsons, right? We're going to Kansas City this week to meet with some people. Pray that the Spirit would be clear on when to plant, who to plant with, where to plant in the city, when to go. Be praying for us on that because I believe that the, the Father hears your prayers and he wants to fill your joy and speak clarity into that for us. So like, let's hang on for joy and let's hang on through prayer and let's hang on to the end. Jesus says at the end of this chapter, he says, I have said these things to you. We're getting the why of why Jesus said this, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Here's what we can be sure of 
is that we will have difficulty and trouble in life, right? And almost every world religion tries to address that issue, right? It's just there. If you've been alive for long enough, you get that. And what will happen is we're going to find ourselves, every one of us, in a situation that is difficult and painful. And we're going to pray our guts out during that time, right? We're going to be holding on for joy, um, and we're going to be holding on to prayer, right? We're just going to be doing both that. We're holding on to you, Jesus, and we're going to pray through it. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying. And you're going to get through that. And another storm's going to come, right? And you're going to get through that by holding on to joy and praying. And another situation is going to come up, right? That's going to be life. But, and Jesus is a good, uh, he's a good God. He's not going to lie to us and say, hey, guys, it's no, no pain, no trouble, no tribulation. He tells us that on the front end. Following Jesus is not an escape from pain and suffering. Uh, Jesus promises we'll experience that. But here's what we know. Here's what we know. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome. So we can see his life, death, and resurrection. We can see that's what's in store for us. Right? We can take heart in that. And there are going to be times when you're going to be lonely as a single person and as a married person. There are going to be times when your kids break your heart and your heart's going to be broken because of the difficulty of having kids, right? There's going to be times when things break and there's not enough money in your checking account. There's going to be times when your body hurts, right? And it suffers with sickness and disease. But our joy is not in those circumstances. Our joy is in Jesus and that can never be taken from us, all right? Um, And we will hang on through prayer. We will hang on through prayer. In the middle of these sorrows and these difficulties, we're not only given permission, but we're encouraged to plead with the Father to give us whatever we want, right? There's an invitation in that, okay? So dream big. Ask big asks. Pray big prayers. Have big expectations of God because he wants to fill your joy. He wants to fill your joy. So City Light, as we get ready to receive communion. I'm going to ask you to do two things during the communion time as we get ready for that. Um, I want you to identify just kind of what situation you're currently facing. Where are you in life right now? And what do you need to hold on to for joy, right? You need to hold on for joy. Where is that in your life right now? And I also want you to take a moment and ask the Father for what you need, right? Do you need restoration? Do you need healing? Do you need joy? Do you need peace? What is it that you need right now? We all got something. What do you need? And and ask the Father for that because he wants to give it to you. And then thank him uh, for sending his son. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you do not lie to us, that you tell us the truth, that we will have trouble. But you also give us hope that you have overcome the world. And that we're not alone when we face sorrow and difficulty. Your spirit lives in us and is with us. And I pray that as we get ready to receive the gift of your body and your blood, that we would present what we need to you. That we would believe that you are a good father that wants to give us good things and make our joy full. I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen.